What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome back to another episode of the Year of Plenty podcast. If you care about the food you eat and are eager to learn more about it, you've come to the right place. My name is Paul Wieland, and with this podcast, I'm trying to explore various topics surrounding food and drink, especially real food, not the ultra-processed stuff most people are consuming these days. Now, you might say, but Poldy, how do you define real food? And, you know, that's a great question. When it comes to real food, I like to think of a quote by the author Michael Palm. He wrote a really cool book called The Omnivore's Dilemma. He once said, don't eat anything your great-grandmother wouldn't recognize as food. So to me, real food is something your great-grandmother would recognize. But it's also fresh and simple, of course. And, you know, his quote actually fits really well with one of my goals for this podcast, which is uh, to share insights and stories about traditional foods and beverages that have been, you know, consumed by people for a really, really long time. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about a very old beverage that has been around for quite a while in certain parts of the world and has recently become a, uh, like a more mainstream phenomenon here in the U.S. This beverage is called milk kefir. So milk kefir is a delicious tasting fermented beverage. It's a uh, relatively, you know, liquid, but I would compare its consistency to like a yogurt or maybe a buttermilk. One of my favorite parts about milk kefir is uh, that it's slightly carbonated. And this is a result of the fermentation process that turns the fresh milk into the finished kefir. Now, uh, kefir is what I know it as, but uh, there are plenty of different names for this drink. In some parts of the world, it's called Bulgaros, for example. Uh, but for the sake you know, of not confusing anyone, I'm just going to refer to it as kefir, since that's what most people that have heard about it probably know it as. Also, there are different kinds of kefir. I've only encountered the milk kefir personally, but uh, I've also read about water kefir online. And water kefir is just what it sounds like. It's kefir made from water instead of milk. However, this episode is all about the milk kefir. I don't know much about the water kefir actually, but you know, maybe I'll do a future episode on that as well. Now, uh, people have made milk kefir for centuries in order to preserve their milk or their precious milk. You know, uh, It can be made from the milk of any ruminant animal, but it's usually made from cow, goat or sheep's milk. In short, the kefir is created by fermenting milk and the milk is fermented by so-called kefir grains. Now, you might be asking yourself, what the heck are kefir grains? And uh, these are, aren't like grains that, like wheat or corn, you know, or some cereal. Kefir grains are actually a symbiosis of bacteria and yeast, so a SCOBY. Bacteria and yeast come together and they form these so-called grains. This means that uh, the, you know, the kefir grains are living organisms. And actually, the grains usually consist of up to 30 different strains of beneficial bacteria and yeast. But uh, the grains themselves kind of look like, you know, a creamy cottage cheese. But, you know, they can get a lot larger. And generally, most people compare the shape to, like, cauliflower florets. However, they can take other shapes, like weird shapes as well. For example, some I've seen some that look like ribbons. The cool thing is that, you know, since they're living organisms, they can grow every day. So these grains can actually get pretty large and multiply. Again, these kefir grains are what turn the milk into the delicious fermented beverage called kefir. The fermentation process adds to carbonation and sometimes even a little bit of alcohol 
But you know, this is normally, this is like a normal thing for fermented foods. You are not going to get drunk from this, or at least I've never heard about it happening. Maybe if you drink tons of it, you would really have to drink a lot though. But I think that would, you know, be pretty hard to do for the average person. Kefir actually tastes a little sour, uh, very similar to a plain yogurt actually. And usually people enjoy it like a cold glass of milk. This makes it a refreshing beverage on a warm summer day. But, you know, there are many creative ways you can use kefir in the, in the kitchen. And uh, I'll talk more about that later though. Okay, as you might already know, I'm a big fan of food history. One of my goals with the podcast is to create appreciation for all the different foods and drinks that are available to us. And uh, I believe one way to create this appreciation is, you know, through knowledge and understanding. So I definitely want to talk some kefir history first before I get into the other stuff about it. Today, kefir is enjoyed by many different cultures around the world. Yet its uh, origin is believed to be in the Caucasus Mountains, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Now, uh, I had no idea where that was, so I looked it up. And the Caucasus is a region between Europe and Asia. And different parts of this region are occupied by, you know, several countries such as Russia, Georgia, and Armenia. But uh, this region has the Caucasus Mountains. And actually, it is home to Mount Elbrus, which is over 18,000 feet tall and Europe's highest mountain. Another cool fact about the Caucasus region where uh, kefir is from is that it was actually inhabited by one of our human ancestors in Paleolithic times. In 1991, they found fossils of Homo erectus dating back to 1.8 million years. I thought that's kind of cool. So it is believed that this region gave birth to the traditional drink kefir. Uh, The people in the Caucasus Mountains have been there for a long time. Many of them were goat herders back in the day, and traditionally, kefir is made with goat's milk. This might be a surprise, but kefir is believed to be one of the oldest known fermented food products. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, just in case you were interested in some traditional fermented foods, uh, other ones are sauerkraut and kimchi. Just, you know, just to name, just to give you a little comparison. But a little is known about the beginnings of kefir itself, or at least... I couldn't find too much about its history. However, I found several articles that uh, talk about legends and some stories surrounding it. So I'll share that with you guys now. According to the legend, the kefir grains needed to make milk kefir were uh, given to the people by the prophet Mohammed. He showed them how to make kefir so that you know they could benefit from its magic. Yet, they received the kefir grains with a warning. The prophet said that if the recipe for kefir was shared, the drink would lose all of its healing powers. And the people of the Caucasus understood this message, you know, and named them the grains of the prophet. They also guarded the kefir grains and the recipe for generations to come in fear of it losing its healing properties. So that's one of the old legends surrounding kefir. But supposedly, travelers to the Caucasus regions could only try and enjoy the beverage, but they were never told the secrets behind making it. And actually, the 13th century Italian explorer Marco Polo mentioned kefir in his travel chronicles. Marco Polo was one of the first European explorers to make it through Mongolia and into the interior of China. And on the way, he must have come across some kefir. And even though it has been, you know, around for so long, kefir wasn't really a thing outside of the Caucasus region until the 19th century. 
So maybe there is some truth to the legend. Maybe the people, you know, knew that this beverage was important and in turn guarded the method of making kefir for hundreds of years. This might also be why, you know, we can't just make kefir grains at home. According to uh, the article Magical Kefir on RussianLife.com, very little is actually known about the way in which the kefir grains form. So as far as I know, you need to get the kefir grains from someone else if you want to make it yourself. Maybe the kefir grains we're using today are multiples of the original kefir grains from the Caucasus region. And that would be pretty cool. But, you know, it's all speculation, of course. So realize, though, that most societies over time have had fermented foods in their lists of stable foods. Uh, cow's milk dates back several thousand years to the agricultural revolution. And before that, some places in Central Asia actually drank horse milk. But the big question is, what happened in the 20th century that made people outside of the Caucasus Mountains interested in kefir? Well, there's another uh, story about this, and it's actually pretty cool. But the story goes that it all started in good old Russia. Kefir has been a popular drink there since the early 1900s. The Russian people turned their attention to kefir because of the new research about health benefits of bacteria found in fermented milk products. And this is all due to a renowned Russian scientist from this time. His name was Dr. Eli Metchnikov. I hope I'm saying his name right. And he actually received the Nobel Prize in 1908 for the discovery of phagocytosis. So this is a real, you know, scientist that uh, has uh, accomplished a lot. And uh, Metchnikov was an immunologist and extremely interested in the extraordinary extraordinary uh, longevity of people in this Caucasus region where kefir is from. He also knew that, you know, fermented milk products were an important and traditional part of their diet. So uh, Metchnikov went on to, you know, infer that the lactic acid bacteria found in fermented milk products like kefir could possibly play a big role in longevity and general health. So this guy actually believed that there was a close link between the microorganisms in the body, especially, you know, the digestive tract, and disease. In uh, layman's terms, his proposal was that the beneficial bacteria compete with the harmful bacteria in your gut. And this is super interesting. I don't know if you have heard about all the hype surrounding the gut biome these days in the health world, or in other words, the microorganisms in your gut. Many health professionals and scientists are now studying the bacteria in the human gut. And this is because they, you know, they now realize that these bacteria could potentially play a huge role in human health. So this Russian scientist, Dr. Metchnikov, seems to have been you know, on top of his game for his time period. He actually wrote a book that was published in 1907 called The Prolongation of Life. And due to this book, his uh, research on fermented foods and the impact on health was well received in Europe at the time. So uh, this led people to believe that these fermented milk products could have a very, very powerful medicinal effect on the human body. And uh, back in the day, they even believed that it could be a possible cure for tuberculosis. So the story goes on that because of, of this hype, you know, the all-Russian physician society became interested in studying milk kefir more closely. And at the end of the 19th century, the Russian scientists wanted to perform experiments on kefir. The problem was, though, that they didn't have access to the actual kefir grains. 
So they set out on a mission to obtain them, of course. And the story that uh, follows sounds kind of like a fairy tale, but supposedly it's true. Remember that the people in the northern Caucasus saw themselves as kind of the guardians of the kefir grains. And uh, they'd been passed down for generations. But, uh, you know, no outsider was supposed to get their hands on these kefir grains. Let alone, you know, know the actual recipe for making the milk kefir. To overcome this hurdle, the Russian scientists teamed up with the Blandov brothers. And the Blandov brothers were the owners of a company called Moscow Dairy. And they owned several factories that processed milk into other dairy products. So they were like one of the big, you know, dairy product producers back in the time. Due to their expertise and network in the dairy industry, the scientists commissioned the Blandov brothers to obtain the kefir grains from the Caucasus for them. And the Blandovs then turned to a tribe in the northern Caucasus region and, you know, tried to get some of the grains for them. But, uh, of course, these tribesmen were stubborn. No kefir grains were to leave under their watch. Yet, this didn't stop the Blandov brothers, though. They uh, had different plans. The Blandovs gave the task to one of their most beautiful and charming employees. Her name was Irina Sakharova. I hope I'm saying that right. Try to put a little, you know eastern touch on that she was to go to the court of prince bek mirza bakarov and damn i hope i'm saying that name is uh, right too sorry if i'm butchering it by the way but anyways Irina's task was to charm the prince into giving her some of his precious kefir grains so Irina went back to his court and you know she succeeded in charming the prince but he would not give up any of his kefir grains when she realized that her mission had failed she made her way back to the Blandovs in Moscow defeated. However, this is where the story takes a surprising turn. The prince was not about to let Irina leave. On her way back, he actually sent some of his men to kidnap her. They were successful and returned her back to the prince. And there she found out that he had totally different plans for her. He was going to marry her if she wanted to or not. But thankfully, she was actually rescued by the Blandov brothers, and uh, they took her all the way to the, the Tsar's court, and Irina was to tell the Tsar the whole story and her allegations against the prince who tried to make her his wife, forcefully, of course. And uh, to compensate her for her troubles, the prince was instructed by the Tsar to give her some of the tribe's kefir grains, and you know he had no choice but to hand him over at this point. So the Russian scientists and the Blandov brothers now had what they were looking for, the kefir grains. Actually, there's a book called Probiotics, Nature's Internal Healers, written by Natasha Trenev. And the author mentions that in 1973, Irina, at that point, 85 years of age, received a letter from the Minister of Food Industry of the Soviet Union. And in it, the minister thanked her for her role in introducing kefir to all of the Russian people. And today, kefir is still one of the most popular fermented beverages there. So, you know, I'm not sure how true the whole story is about Irina and, you know, the prince. But since she received this letter, there must be some truth behind it. But uh, lately, kefir has become more popular in other parts of the world as well, not just Russia. This is due to an increased interest by scientists and the public in the beneficial effects of fermented foods. 
It's like a fermented food renaissance, if you want to call it that. Many people these days face, you know, digestive distress. And I've heard health professionals refer to it as like an epidemic, actually. So scientists are now studying these microorganisms found in fermented foods once again. And this is great because, you know, technology is so much better now than it was at the beginning of the 1900s. So hopefully they will be able to, you know, shed more light on the importance of fermented foods and human health. And you already know a lot of things have come out about it. All right, while we're already talking about science now, let's get a little bit more into it. A lot of you might not know this, but did you know that humans have as much or even more bacterial cells than human cells in their bodies? There's a study from 1977 by Dwayne Savage uh, that estimated bacterial cells in the body to outnumber human cells 10 to 1. And this is, you know often talked about in the health world. However, according to a new study I found from the Wiseman Institute, this number is most likely exaggerated. Uh, the more recent study found that the number of bacteria to be about the same as human cells. So they actually found that the number of human cells added up to about 3. Uh, 39 trillion and the bacterial cells on uh, the other hand were estimated to be between 30 to 50 million uh, trillion, sorry. So 30 to 50 trillion. So not quite the 10 to 1 ratio that most people, you know, claim it is, but still an incredibly high number. Uh, so, you know, this means that our body is host to a giant number of microorganisms. And that's pretty awesome, I think. You're like a universe for all these tiny microbes to thrive in. If you think about it, consequently, not all bacteria can be bad, right? Otherwise, you would, you know, always be sick. So logically, uh, there are bacteria that are beneficial to us. And many of them are called probiotics. I'm sure you've heard of this term before. Many people take probiotics in like supplement form. I actually do as well. And this is usually to heal their gut or just to introduce healthy bacteria to, uh, you know, to their gut flora. And healing the gut pretty much means that the balance, or you have to, let me back up. You have to heal the gut when the balance of good and bad microorganisms is uh, unbalanced, you know. If this happens, a colony of really harmful bacteria can overpopulate inside of you, which you don't want because, you know, it can cause all sorts of health issues. And a common one you might have heard of is small intestine bacterial overgrowth. It's called, or usually called SIBO, and a lot of people actually have this and don't really know it. Now, certain probiotics can be taken, you know, to restore the balance to the gut. That's why, you know, people take it in supplement form. But since fermented foods contain beneficial bacteria and yeast strains, they can be considered probiotic foods. So, as I said earlier, kefir actually consists of about 30 different beneficial strains of bacteria and yeast. So this makes it an incredibly potent probiotic food. But that's not all. Kefir is also a great source of vitamins, amino acids, and minerals that, you know, our bodies need to thrive. For example, an important vitamin for humans is vitamin K2. What's cool is that vitamin K2 is also a, like a product of bacterial fermentation. So fermented milk products like kefir are likely a good source of vitamin K2. Oh, and also... Kefir has a good amount of magnesium, which is something that many Americans and, you know, everyone around the world 
uh, are really deficient in. And yeah, a lot of people have huge magnesium deficiencies. So definitely make sure that you're getting enough uh, magnesium from your diet or in supplemental form if you if you aren't. One of my favorite go-to health professionals, if I have any you know anything I want to research or look for, is Chris Kresser. And uh, in his online article, Kefir, the Not Quite Paleo Superfood, he mentions that minerals like calcium, magnesium, and phosphorus found in kefir help the body utilize carbs, fats, proteins for things like cell growth, body maintenance, and energy. So always make sure to get enough of these minerals from your food. And, you know, drinking kefir could be one of the ways to achieve this. Now, I have to throw in a disclaimer, though. Don't go out there and, you know, drink tons of kefir just because you heard me say it here on the podcast and tell you about all these health benefits. I'm not a doctor. Uh, Before you try to treat any health issues, always consult a doctor. There are many health, you know, professionals online that offer great information about the benefits of kefir. And if you want to dig a little deeper, I encourage you to do so. But realize that uh, there is such a thing as bio-individuality. And bio-individuality is always something to consider when, you know, trying new foods or even diets. The idea behind it is that, you know, what works for one person might not work for others. So people react differently to different things. And this probably has something to do with the fact that we have, you know, different microorganisms living on and inside of us. But personally, if I, you know, try a new food, especially something as powerful as kefir, I start with a small amount and then wait to see how I feel afterwards. And I think that is probably something our ancestors have done for generations. How else would they, you know, have figured out what foods are good to eat and what, which ones they should leave alone? And I'm not trying to, you know, discourage anyone from trying new healthy foods like kefir, but I do want you guys to be aware of this idea of bioindividuality. All right, so now I want to share a little personal story. When I started my research for the episode, I decided to start my own batch of kefir. I figured it would be, you know, a fun experiment to share with you guys. After doing some research on uh, quality and price, of course, I found a good company that sells the kefir grains. And I ordered their milk kefir grains, but they actually also had the, you know, other kefir grains like water kefir grains. And, um, but I, I did want to make the original and traditional milk kefir. So that's what I picked. And the grains I received came in the mail. Uh, they were dehydrated once, which uh, means that I had to activate them first. And uh, once I got them, you know, you want to activate them right away. Otherwise, uh, they can go bad. And you know, activating took a couple of days, but it was pretty easy. The amount I bought was enough to make four cups of kefir once activated. So what I had to do, of course, is activate the grains. And how I did that was to put them in one cup of milk for an 8 to 24 hour period. And then I had to check on it once once in a while. And if I noticed a texture change in the milk, I would increase the amount of milk by half a cup until I was at four cups total. But, you know, if you decide to make your own kefir and it comes to that point, there are plenty of videos online that show you how to do this. Maybe I'll even make my own. But uh, once the kefir grains were activated, they produced kefir in under 24 hours. So in like a 24-hour period. Uh, and now, you know, I had four cups of fresh kefir every day for the whole family to enjoy. And I used a gallon glass jar uh, with like a paper towel and a rubber band as a lid. 
And you need a lid that, you know, allows oxygen to come in so the fermentation can actually take place. But at the same time, you don't want to, you know, flies or unwanted particles to come in. So, yeah, just use like a paper towel or maybe uh, like a coffee filter. Also, the jar can, you know, be left in a dark spot then in your kitchen and room temperatures are just fine for the fermentation to take place. So I'm actually super happy that I started the kefir because around the same time I was prescribed antibiotics and I usually try to avoid antibiotics unless I really, really need them because, you know, they can also destroy the beneficial bacteria in your body. However, since I'm, you know, outdoors a lot and I tend to get a lot of tick bites, um, for that reason, my doctor wanted to test my blood for Lyme's disease and I actually had, you know, some markers in my blood for Lyme's disease, so... To prevent the disease, I decided to take the antibiotics. And uh, my doctor is actually a pretty smart guy and aware of the dangers of antibiotic misuse. So he told me to, you know, eat or drink probiotic foods, especially kefir. And I had to laugh at that. You can probably imagine the look on his face when I told him that I was currently making my own. And he was actually super excited about this and wants some of my kefir grains if they ever grow and multiply. So that's kind of cool. And, you know, you... The neat thing about this is that you can give them to your family and friends as a gift. In doing so, you're taking part in like an ancient tradition. If you want to be super traditional, though, you can even try to make kefir with goat's milk. And if that's an option for you, of course, I don't like that would be the most traditional way to do it. And I don't have access to goat's milk at the moment, but I'll definitely be interested in it. So it probably tastes a little different. If you aren't already convinced to consume more kefir or even to make your own, I want to tell you about some of the different ways you can use it in the kitchen, as I promised. So as mentioned earlier, the easiest way to get the kefir in you, like in your body, would be just to drink it as a cold glass of water. But, you know, you can also use it in smoothies. It tastes amazing when, like, mixed with bananas and berries. But it also fits to, like, salty dishes. Another way to use kefir is to make it into like a salad dressing. Uh, and it could even replace mayo and yogurt, for example. Actually, I also like to just dump it on my food and, you know, use it as a sauce. Another cool idea I uh, found online was to make popsicles out of it. So just blend it with, you know, maybe your favorite ingredients. And maybe if you want to add a little sweetener and you can use honey, for example. Or if you're all about the low-carb diet like me right now. Uh, you could even use like an alternative sweetener like stevia or erythritol. And uh, yeah, then just freeze it in ice pop trays overnight. And voila, you got your popsicles. Finally, you can even make a spreadable cheese out of it. I thought that was cool. You will need a cheesecloth that, you know, will allow most of the whey in the kefir to drip out overnight. And then the next morning, you'll have a thick kefir and almost like a cream cheese. And if you want, you know, you can pick some fresh herbs from the garden and mix them in. I would probably go with uh, maybe chive and rosemary, but anything goes, you know, just experiment with it. As you can tell, kefir is an awesome fermented dairy product and, you know, can be very versatile. And honestly, it's not very time consuming to make yourself. And also, you know, it's a lot more cost efficient in the long run if you make it yourself than, you know, if you have to buy it from the store all the time. Also, personally, I'm a big fan of making food at home. First of all, it's fun. But second, it's, 
you know, just gives me a sense of connection to the food I eat. And I don't usually feel that way when I buy foods at the grocery store or from a restaurant. So, but that's just me, obviously. And, uh, but I do feel like others could benefit from making more food at home. So that's all I have for you guys today. I hope you could learn something new. That's always very important to me. If you're interested in making kefir, I say go for it. The kefir grains I bought online were, you know, not too expensive. And if you want to know which company I use, just let me know, like leave a comment or send me an email. Also, I would love to hear from you guys if you do decide to make your own kefir. Just leave a comment on www.theyearofplenty.com, which is uh, my website. And I'd love to hear about your experience with it. And I'm sure others would too. So if you have any questions, just leave them in the comments below the blog post. And I will try to help answer them as good as I can. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And I'm really grateful for any of you who listen and, you know, want to learn more. Please share this episode with your family and friends. And, oh... I uh, finally got the podcast available for you Android users out there. Google recently released their brand new Google Podcast app, and I really like it. It's kind of it's really worth checking out. So if you like the podcast and you know what I'm trying to do with it, please leave a five star review on the Apple Podcast app or on Google Podcasts. Uh, that's how you know the podcast gets found by new listeners, and um, this way more of us foodies can feed your curiosity, right? You can also follow me on Instagram. My uh, username is poldywheeland, all lowercase letters and one word. I also have a Year of Plenty Twitter and Facebook page. So all you have to do is just search at the Year of Plenty in the search option on either site. Alrighty, thanks for listening and until next time.